What's up, people? Hotep Jesus, we back. That 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 Hotep Jesus dude. I'm super excited. We got a dope ass interview lined up for you tonight. We have the incomparable, the infamous, and famous, the untouchable, the regal and royal, the intelligent, the beautiful, Miss Sunny Johnson. What's good? What's up, Hotel Nation? We here, baby. We here. You saw the Grifties? Oh, oh my gosh. Your, the Grifties Hall of Fame was the like uh, absolute doll of an addition. Uh, just the way y'all mind works and how y'all can slide knowledge in when people are, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and you just slip a little bit of, of knowledge and truth up in there in the process. Like big shout out to you on CoTap. Definitely dope, free dope, bring dope back. And the whole men are on a team. Like y'all are really doing it. I'm so, so proud of y'all. And like I said, I am a fan of the Grifties, you know? And you can you can be like, oh, I want to participate. I want to give. No, I want to sit back and watch <laughs> the Grifties, you know, and just be a freaking fan of a culture, what I think is going to become a cultural phenomenon. So go ahead, shout out to the whole whole nation for that. Y'all are just yeah, I know. fabulous. Yeah, I know I reached out to Sunny. I said, Sunny, you going to be on? She said, no, I want to watch. I was like, all right, no doubt. I want to be a fan. like. I, I do enough. I, I think I run my mouth enough. I, I, I you know what I'm saying? I, I, I cause enough disruption and problems. And once in a while, especially when it's something as great as what y'all came up with with the Grifties, I just I like to just sit back and feed off of it and and be like, okay, we 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 cooking with something now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like this sit down feast will be good when we finish with this because we cooking with something now. So. Definitely a fan of Hotep Nation and definitely the Grifties always. I can't wait for next year. Ladies and gentlemen of the chat, if you want to see Sonny Johnson present next year, put a one in the chat. <laughs> I'm going to get you I, one of these years. <laughs> I get to do, if I do it, I get to do the Hall of Fame. Don't, don't, go, don't have to share the Hall of Fame with me. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Yo, shout out to Doe. He put that segment together and he killed it i didn't so when we recorded it we was in the next room over and i didn't want to listen i wanted to be surprised taylor hit me with the link hey watch doe's segment tell me what you think i was like yeah sure <laughs> didn't watch it so i saw it live with everybody last night and it came out perfect doe really killed it yo if nobody if, if you don't remember or if you did follow doe when he was on twitter and you know the you know they they kicked him off assholes um but he was one of the best at taking history making it combined with culture and giving it the economic um acknowledgement that it deserved so he was really really able to take a historical event and really turn it into something special and I really, really missed that on my feed. And, and you think about that in terms of when you're thinking about censorship, you think you're just removing the shit that you don't want to hear. In actuality, 
you're really removing shit that could really be life-changing and how you see things and how you view the world. So it goes back to like that old, that old saying, it not only cheats the person that is talking, it cheats the person that is listening. So mm. we need to understand that as we move more and more towards censorship. Oh, absolutely. Fudge Mayo, thank you. He said, Sonny, glad to see you back. Also with the study of law and treaties, why are you not nationalized as a Moor? Go Luffy, Hotep and Build. I mean, I, the whole Moor thing, I have a lot of questions. I need to sit down with a Moor who understands this stuff. I need to sit down with an attorney and I need to understand what I'm giving it up because in some ways I like being an American. I like, it's some perks, right? If I'm in a foreign nation and I need to go to an embassy, and I say, hey, president, you might bite me shit out of luck. <laughs> you better make sure you, you try to use that American privilege when you got the right president in. Because, you know, like they call Trump and like, yo, Trump, I'm him. Duh. Trump like, all right, bro, I got you. Call bad and bad. Like, well, you better get a flight. You better <laughs> get out on your own. Like we ain't coming. So you you know, you, you just gotta be cautious about when you're using that American pri pri privilege and know what president you got in office. Unless you like hanging with Hunter or something, then they might come get you. <laughs> Cannon Hotel said it's about to get lit. Oh yeah, baby. Um, Greg Bula. I love the Cannon Hotel. He came through my show and killed it. Yeah, so. make sure y'all check that out. Cannon Hotel, Grace, uh, Sonny Johnson's platform, Patriot Radio XL. Did she say that? Um, Greg Bula, he said, I want to see Sonny present next year. Oh yeah. Don't worry. We're going to get it one of these years. <laughs> Sonny Johnson. Hey, I might fuck around and try to get a grifty this year. <laughs> <Let's go. laughs> yeah. I want to nominate. I want to be nominated. What's up? <laughs> Word up. That's the attitude. That's what I love to hear. Um, Sonny, I have a wonderful conversation lined up for you today. Um, in fact, I just thought of another dope ass question, but before we get into that, how, the, 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 the past few years have been very stressful with the bug and everything. How are you doing? How are you holding up? Oh, I'm good, man. When I tell you my husband is like the best my husband is the best so okay. having him having my daughter all of us have uh actually been able to stay away from the bug so none of us have actually caught it and like so that's a blessing you know and i'm just thinking like if you do the simple things like wash your hands if you're sick stay at home um and, and, and you know if you can stop yourself from having to go to large groups of people that you don't know, limit the, limit the number of times you do that. And I think that if you just do those simple things, we go a long way to being responsible enough mm. to be able to handle it ourselves. And as someone who is comparable, you know, my immune system is already compromised. This is the way I live like every year. I'm from like November to like the end of February, I shut down and I'm not traveling and moving as much as I would in say the summer months, because I know that that is flu season and there's a higher chance that I actually get sick. So I limit my, my movement during those times. So people who are living with it consistently, this is kind of already how we live. And I think even, even just knowing little things like that, you help us out immensely 
just by being responsible because it limits again the amount of access we would get to to something that could hurt us just because you know our systems aren't as strong as everybody else's uh have you taken dr grifty's medicine oh, no hey sonny's a pure blood <laughs> no sir i um uh, i'll tell you the last time um the last time i got the regular flu shot that joint took me down for like a month like mm. where i thought i was literally gonna die for like an entire month and um yeah i nah, no i'm not I'm not fucking with it i'm good um i I would say, you know, I'm gonna pray about it and I'll do that, but I'm also gonna be taking my vitamins. I'm also gonna be making sure I'm washing my hands, sanitizing my house and limiting my, you know what I'm saying? I'm gonna do this, this still the things that I know are basic and best for my health. But no, I'm not letting, hell no. That's hell wonderful no. news. And I love it when they're like, well, Trump came out with, I don't give a, what makes you think I can that Trump came out with it? Like, I'm not you. I don't turn and change my mind because of what political party is empowered. It was no one to fucking Trump is no one to fucking about it. And guess what? If the next president come in, I don't care what his name is. The answer's still gonna be fucking no. <laughs> so like, let's stop. You, me and you are not the same. I'm principal, you're not. That's what the difference is. Stop playing with me. <laughs> Shout out to my pure bloods in the chat. If you're pure blood in the chat, hit that number one button. Libre TV says shout out to Hotep and Sunny, two of my favorite people. Welcome for attending. What up, Saul? Saul, we still, we still got to talk. I got my book right here. I got my book right here, and I got notes. The first Africans were, uh, the first Americans are Africans. I'm ready whenever you are. We're going to make that happen. <laughs> um, Sonny, you tagged me in a tweet. You said, you wanted, you said to me, we wanted to make sure that we spoke about this. Do you remember that tweet? Yep. Okay. In that tweet, I said something along the lines of there's no such thing as black history month. And, uh, but white people are really just Europeans in a European satellite. Why did you say you wanted to talk about black that? People, black people don't have, we, we are just an experiment. We have just saw the experiment through the European satellite. Right. Right. Yes. Black people have seen it. Yes. Yeah. Black history is just a black experience in a European satellite. Yes. That's what I said. Correct. And, and, and that is the fucking truth. And if people could just admit that that's the truth, we would solve half of the fucking problems we're having now. Because this is legitimately what the left and the right are arguing about that they actually fucking agree with. They actually agree with it. Mm. So if you are talking to someone on the right, about the uh, the beginnings of, of Western civilization. They're going to tell you, basically, we're going to start like at Greece and Rome, the birthplace of the democracy, the birthplace of the Republic. And then we're going to, yeah, that's all white European, y'all kind of angle of how y'all see history. Those are the building blocks of how y'all built government. So everything you see is through that freaking prism. And they will, they, yes, it is because now they have ownership in it. Yes. That's what we created. Now, when the progressives say the same thing to them, okay, well, your system was built off of white supremacy. Oh no, it's not. Wait a minute. You just freaking told us it was. See, here's the deal. Like white people won. You won. So you got to write the history. And not only did you get to write the history, 
You got to pick which parts of the history to highlight. So yes, you did. Your people were victorious. You won. You wrote the history. What the hell are we arguing about? Because both sides are saying the exact same thing. The difference is what to do about it. Mm. That's where they start bickering and arguing with each other is what do we do about it? So the left says, well, if the system is built this way, then we just need to destroy the whole system, right? right? You can't do anything with the system the way it's built when it was built the way that it was built and how it was built, destroy everything. Um, and then the right is like, well, no, we fixed it already. It's already good. It's already perfect. Like, like we 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 got over that. Uh, forget about the history. Don't don't look behind the curtain. That's not a man standing there. It really is the great Oz. Like this is what they do. Like it goes back to 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 um, understanding where Democrats think they want to build a utopia. Republicans think they live in one. Mm. Where they actually have to do anything or change anything fixed anything that utopia just exists and this is why every time democrats smack their ass with reality they're like oh my god i can't believe it how did we get here yo we've been here for a long freaking time it's you who were who wasn't paying attention because you were in your little small town eating your apple pie going to the baseball game and everything was all rosy and good and now fitting all and sneaking all in your shit and killing everybody and you wondering how the fuck we got here like we were legitimately trying to tell you that this is what was coming where it was going but you didn't want to hear us now when it actually smacks you in the face you want to tell us well, I, I, we're going to lose America. No, you've been in the process of oh. losing America. You're 100 years behind the process of losing America. At least I can say now, welcome and acknowledge that you actually see the fight. Hotel. Uh, uh, bars. Sonny, um, so you agree we live in the European satellite. And so when I think of history, right, I, I say... History has to be taught in chronology, right? Got to teach it in order. And really, what I said was, it's not really black history. There's American history with the omission of black people, <laughs> which creates the need for a quote unquote black history. The problem I believe, and tell me if I'm right here or wrong or what you, what you believe, is that black history omits white people and when it adds white people it's always oh these are people that whooped our ass okay you uh you're completely right um uh, but when you're like okay with chronological order of history is important that you do it in that order because the language changes the language starts to fluctuate. Okay. And if you don't, if you're just calling everybody blanket conservative, blanket progressive, blanket like, then then you're mixing up a whole bunch of people that don't necessarily belong in the categories that they were being thrown in under the names as we currently know them. Right. You know what I'm saying? So like the Republicans that freed the slaves weren't conservatives, they were radicals. Mm. So if you're looking at it in terms of that, yo, they were kind of the first progressives. They were the first one to target black people with federal programs and welfare and housing and 
all the things you look at now and say, oh, that's government uh, and socialism and Marxism. All of those first things were introduced by Republicans towards Black people. Mm. So if you don't understand the terminology and if you're thinking back to the Republicans of, of slavery days as conservatives, no, they weren't. They were the radicals of the time. Mm. And if you're not going to be able to actually look at history kind of in that chronological order, then you're going to miss a lot of the fluctuations. And those fluctuations especially come when it um, in the idea it, when it comes to ideology. Now, when if you talk about black history or you talk about white history, this is the thing we need to understand about black history, right? We didn't have a fucking choice. Like, okay, if America was what she says she was, if she was the promise of what was written on the paper, if she lived up to the ideals for which those brave men so, you know, fearlessly fought for, if she did all of those things, then it would be no fucking need for black history. Mm. But the very first law that was put on the books that separated black from white made black history necessary. Mm. Because we didn't have a fucking choice. Y'all won't go write us into y'all history. Y'all won't gonna tell our stories. Y'all had already took our fucking heritage from us. And I know the argument of black people being here first, cool. I know my family came on ships. You know what I'm saying? So you made it necessary to have black history. You made it where it was no choice but the fact that black history would start to create itself because you gave us no choice. So Condoleezza Rice has this uh, saying where she says that um, America has, it, it, it was born with the birthmark of slavery. Mm. We are that birthmark. And now you want to hide the birthmark. You want to pretend the birthmark isn't there. No, it wouldn't have been there if y'all did and America was what she said she was supposed to be. It would have been no need for it. Right. But the moment you made the decision, the moment it was put into law, the moment we were actually separated for our skin color, of which we had no choice. Like, it wasn't like Black people could come and be like, hey, you know what? I really, really want to be a part of your white history. No, we didn't have the fucking option to do that. Right. So immediately when you put us in that position, then you are necessitating the creation of Black history. Mm, mm. Yeah, totally And agree. Black culture at that, and Black faith, and Black community. Mm. All the four pillars. You are making it so we have to build those things for ourselves because they are not being presented to us um, in the manner for which your constitution says that it should be. Because they created that separation. Exactly. Mm. 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 Prolific. Quite prolific. Um, Black History Month is next month. Um, are you celebrating? Always. Okay. When you I, I like I study Black history year round. Okay, I think in Black History Month, it's important that we remember symbolically why it's there. Okay, and and I, and I mean the entire story of why it's there, like so how it goes from Carter Woodson and Negro History Week. Why 
that was necessary, which uh, tomorrow on my show for Sunny's Corner, I'm going to be doing a little a piece on um, the Daughters of the Confederacy. And, and really, the Daughters of the Confederacy are the ones that, that really pushed Carter Woodson into a position where, again, Negro History Week had to be created. It's like the more you shut us out, the more you pin us down, the more you try to wipe us out, we will find a fucking way. Mm. And that's what our history here tells us. Mm. So people can just look at the bad things, but for a lot, for all of the bad things, whether long-term effects of those, you know, things we can look at and say, eh. But in short term, black people didn't look like they were insurmountable. They looked like they were just an obstacle to be, you know, pressed over and overcome. And a lot of our uh, ancestors, our legacy people did that, whether they did it protesting or they did it getting up every day and going to work and making sure their kids go to college and became the next class of black professional. Every single way that they could play a part, they did. And that needs to be recognized with our history as well. It's not just the famous names you know, it's the black people that actually put in the work to make the communities that we did have stable and grow. We're gonna talk about the civil rights movement in a moment, but first, in regards to Black History Month, how do you think people should celebrate this? Not only just mean black people and is black history month just for black people or should white people celebrate it? And how should we celebrate? It was specifically Negro history week was specifically designed to be a celebration of uh, Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. Okay. So it was two, it was two white Republicans. Their birthday was uh, in the same week. So that is significantly and symbolically why Carter Woodson chose that week for Negro History Week. Um, he not only wanted Black Americans to remember their history, because our history was being rewritten by the progressives in real time, Black progressives, the Black intellectuals. Our history was being rewritten in real time. And um, he didn't want us to forget the roots of what we had done. Fresh off of the plantation, with real slavery, real white supremacy, KKK, like all that in our face. Look what the fuck we did. Look what we built. That was the part he did not want us to forget. And he, he wanted to significantly make sure that Lincoln was included in that because we didn't do that alone. So if you go and look at a lot of the HBCUs, they're named after white Republicans because white Republicans were the ones who either protected the places where the schools were put up, got the financing for them, or were like the biggest supporters in making sure that they were able to run and grow and flourish. So a lot of the HBCUs were actually created by white Republicans. If you look at the NAACP, the very first chapters were mixtures of white Republicans and black Republicans until it started to be coveted by the black intellectuals and they came in and took it over. So. It was things like that that Carter Woodson wanted us to remember. He wanted us to remember not only Black history and what we had accomplished, but Republicans, what we had built and how what we had created together. And I think that is even more important for us now to understand how that promise was never fulfilled. So think about this, right? Carter Woodson, in his day and age, created 
a national holiday to honor black and white Republicans. And the simple request that he gave was, remember our mutual history. Remember what we have done together. Remember what we have shared. Remember what we have created. That promise still hasn't been fulfilled. It's such an easy promise just to understand and actually know Black history. Because if you know that section of Black history, you know Republican history. Because most of the Black people were Republicans. If you know that portion of history, you're learning the history of your party. So it should be history that you want to learn. It should be history that you are excited to have brought into your ideology of how you look at the world and why you look at it. But that promise, like I said, that promise is still yet unfulfilled. And it was easy to do so when you have a Republican come in and change it from Negro History Week to Black History Month because the progressives were crying about how short it was. And with that move, you erase all of the symbolism of why it was created in the first place. So now we are looking at Black History Month, and this is why people look at it with like, okay, do we really need to celebrate this? Because it becomes about celebrating Oprah and LeBron James and like all of, no, it's not supposed to be about that. It is supposed to be about learning about the cities that we built and how some of them were destroyed, how some of them were flooded, how some of them were burnt, how some of them went and flourished until big government came in and started crushing them under their boot. Like we are supposed to know that section of our history and letting the progressives focus it on their modern day icons doesn't diminish our job of what we are supposed to do. We're supposed to be living up to why Carter Woodson made it in the first place. And for me, that means understanding not only the greatness of what blacks have done in America, but also when partnered with good white allies, what we were able to create. Mm. Bars on top of bars on top of bars. Uh, Vissy, what does that say? Vissy said in the void, thank you. Just helping support the channel. I appreciate you, man. That's love right there. Wait till we get the Hotel Nation studio. It's going to be rich. Uh, tune in dropout says, uh, curious on Sonny's take on the 1619 project. Nicole Hannah-Jones trashes Lincoln in her narrative. Um, do you want to weigh in on that or? Well, he's open for interpretation. Like, I'm not going to sit up here and be like, oh, Lincoln's my, my favorite president. Nah, I'm not going to do that. It's open for interpretation. In my estimation, people don't give Frederick Douglass enough credit for how he stayed on Lincoln's ass. If it wasn't for Frederick Douglass keeping his foot on Lincoln's ass, then Lincoln might not inherit the courage and the backbone to actually go through with, um, with the Civil War, finish it off, abolishing slavery. Because for a long time, his biggest thing was just keeping the union together and not really actually trying to abolish slavery. And it was really Frederick Douglass and the intellectual beatdown that he put on him consistently that got him to um, understand and to actually have a backbone and fight for uh for for what was right so I, I that's my estimation of it i'm not if you give me the opportunity to sit about and talk about lincoln i'm gonna give you an earful about frederick Douglass because maybe that's the part that you're missing <laughs> nice i love it um in the same vein as this conversation is obviously crt crt in schools 
And uh, I recently saw a spat between uh, two uh, conservatives on the timeline. One of them was Jeff Charles. And he was arguing about books being taken out of, I think, a Texas school. Are you familiar with this story? Yes, of course. Like, of course. And here, here's the thing, and I'll tell white conservatives this. Y'all are quiet. Y'all walk around talking about, oh, we're the silent majority. We're the silent majority. Well, that doesn't fucking help anybody. You know what I'm saying? That doesn't help anybody. You know who's louder than you? The white progressives. You know who's louder than you? Your white conservative cousins. They are all louder than you. So please stop coming to tell me what you are for and you are against when you meekly do it, quieted by the taps on your keyboard. If you're not actually getting up and being active and being as loud as these people that you are trying to counter, then you are effectively helping them to win. When it comes to the 1619 Project, this is, if you can, and this goes back to, again, understanding what Carter Woodson wanted for, from us from Negro History Week, right? If you cannot go back and be honest about Black history, they're going to shove 1619 down your fucking throat. Mm. And it's not going to be anything that you're going to be able to do with uh, against it because you will be called a racist, you will be called a white supremacist, you will be automatically dismissed, and if they have the capability to get you closed out of the public discussion, discussion then that's what they're going to do. The problem with that is, on the opposite side, you have these 1776 people, right? That, okay, so your fucking solution to 1619 is to be 1776, right? So, and, and immediately you know these people when they say, we have to teach pro-American history. Pro-American history means we go leave all the niggas out. <laughs> That's what it means. It means that we're, we're not gonna tell you about anything black related, because that's not what it was created for. That was not its purpose. The current history and trajectory that we get, or we were getting before people start to actually question the curriculum that was being put out by the public school system was a lost cause version of history, a whitewashed version of history, product of the daughters of the Confederacy, again, what I'm gonna be talking about on my show tomorrow, that freaking history. But it, it, to me, it's like, you, you're not supposed to look at people that you disdain and, and actually compliment them. And I'm like, no, I need to compliment these hoes real quick. The daughters of the Confederacy, right? Understand how effective they were. These women said, okay, our men are broken. Like, our men just went to war. They got killed up. They, you know, amputees. Fathers lost their sons. Sons lost their fathers, their uncles. The hierarchy is broken. The community is broken. The culture is broken. The faith is broken. The historical line is broken. Anybody who knows me knows that those are the four pillars. History, community, culture, and faith. So all of those four pillars were broken. They come along and they're like, no, our men got some issues. So you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna rebuild our men. That's what we're gonna do. So we gotta give our men some history 
that they're proud of. They just lost the war. No, their generals were great. They were fabulous. We're going to get military bases named after them. We're going to get, and now they become folk heroes instead of traitors to the country because it was for a sense of rebuilding the, the connection, the cultural connection of white men in the South. And then it just spread through every single aspect of a culture where they're having uh, civil rights reenactments and into the pulpit where there was like, there, there was a mutual uh, love between the slave and its owner. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, this shit ain't, come on. But they were able to infiltrate every one of the four pillars and heal their men. And through that, became a, a curriculum that was taught throughout the entirety of the country because they were the biggest investors and distributors in modern textbooks. So you can look at them and hate what they did, the way they bastardized history, but if you actually study how they moved and how they did the work, they had one of the most effective organizational movements in this country. And the funniest part about it, it was so effective, no one even talks about it to this day. Yet, everybody is still fucking fighting over the statue that they erected. Ooh. So the statue's being torn down. Many of them are results Put of up by the daughters of the Confederacy. They were put up mostly in places that faced black communities. So if you actually go and look at the location of a lot of the, of the Confederate statues, they're actually put up to face black communities. And it was meant to be like, we, we got it back now. We, we're in control again. We running this again. Like, yeah, we lost the war. Y'all got y'all a little freedom, but no, we, we, control, we control the politics. We control the culture. We control the education. It was their sign of, uh, of telling the black community, we may have lost, but we won. And, and that's what a lot of the statues meant. And that's why there were a lot of them were placed near black communities. Do you agree with the taking down of the statues? And why do you think they are taking down these statues? Um, I, I'm not gonna fight about whether the fuck not they take down the statues. Like I'm not, okay. I am not gonna be sitting up here and and arguing with people about statues. Most of us ride past them and don't know what we're looking at. We don't care to know what we're looking at. Um, I would much rather spend time trying to teach history than arguing about with people about the validity of whether uh, a statue should remain or, or should be taken down. And that goes for whether it's the statue of Robert E. Lee or a statue of Frederick Douglass. I would much rather, like, I would much rather every single person read what's the 4th of July to the, to the slave once a year than go see a fucking statue. Mm -hmm. Like, if you gave me the choice, read what's the 4th of July to a slave once a year. And, and I don't give a fuck if you ever go see a Frederick Douglass statue. West of the 4th of July to a slave. West of the 4th of July to a slave. I'm going to have to read that. Um, you know, my take that, is... That, everything about the way I argue, operate, and maneuver. Because one of the things that, um, that you learn if you read that is... Uh, Frederick Douglass didn't go to Democrats and be like, hey, yo, Democrats, you know, you should give, you know, give up your slaves. 
Come on, let's let's wrap. Let's talk about how you get. He didn't do that. He knew that the Democrats were never going to give up their slaves. So he did not waste his time going to Democrats and trying to lobby them to get rid of their slaves. He spent his time going to Republicans and challenging them to live up to the Constitution that they said was so important to them. You say that these documents mean so much. The founding fathers mean so much that they are the the light and inspiration for an entire nation that rose out of nothing. You know what I'm saying? If all of that, you know what I'm saying, is the case, then Lucy, we got some explaining to do. Mm, mm. Um, you know, my take on the statues, I just feel like the Democrats are trying to erase history, erase history yeah. that their party is associated with as well. Yeah, and and you like you say that, and I, I understand the argument, and I think it's a true argument and, and is a true uh, statement. But at the same time, the Republicans are fighting to keep that history up. But if you start talking about their Lily White history, then they tell you to get over it. Mm. So like that, that's like, I'm supposed to have compassion for what here? I'm not playing 1619, I'm not playing 1776. There is only one authentic American history and you're not gonna make me choose the lesser of two evils when I know what the fucking history is. Like, no, I'm not gonna make that choice. I'll fight both of you. <laughs> I'd rather fight both of you than, than choose a, a uh, I have a dichotomy of choice that I don't believe in in, in either direction. Do you agree with CRT being taught in schools? Um, it's not CRT. And, and here's the thing, right? It's not even so much the black history. It's what progressives have done with the power that they have in the schools. So they're like, okay, I went and I got a women's feminist libs degree in college. Now I'm gonna go and be a second grade teacher. I'm not worried about teaching the kids math or English or anything, no. I'm gonna go in and I'm gonna teach the kids my pronouns. Now, when you get into that, I think that that's what you have a lot of American parents, that is what they are mad at. They are mad at, you having an assignment in school where it says, okay, all the black kids sit over here, all the white kids sit over here, the Hispanic kids, you get here, and now we're gonna talk about what our privilege is and where we have intersectionality. That is what most parents are like, this is what I don't wanna see. This is, that isn't CRT. That is progressive bastardization and pushing a, Mar a Marxist principle. That's Hotel. what that is. It is not critical race theory. Critical race theory is actually the study of how these racist systems were put into place. So if we're going to talk about, you know, critical race theory, let's talk about how government distributes welfare, about redlining, about the public school to prison um, pipeline. Like, there are legitimate things we can talk about when it actually relates to CRT and the fucking racist systems that have been put into place where legitimate conversations could be had. But that is something completely different than the parents being at school saying like, like, don't tell my kid that he is born racist because he's white. And I, I agree with this because this is why I feel so bad for a lot of white progressive kids. 
they're gonna get out in the real world and run up against our fucking children. These white progressives have taught their kids that they are privileged and that they are they are above and, and supreme and all of this, and they have to acknowledge it to us. You're gonna run into my daughter and you're gonna get a fucking buzzsaw. You should have raised your kid to understand that they're gonna have to fight for everything that they get, that they want. You should have raised your kid to have drive. You should have raised your kid to have ambition. You should have not raised your kid with social justice because our kids are gonna eat your kids ass up. And I feel a very, very bad for the white kids that are being brought up in large progressive circles where they don't get experience outside of those circles, when they actually hit real life and, and run into to black uppity people that, that don't think they have privilege at all. I think it's gonna be a real shock to them when they understand that their parents lied to them. Oh, man. Ooh, yes, scorched earth. Um, I spoke to uh, my elder, uh, Dr. Kaba Kamene about this, about CRT, and he said something prolific to me. He said, CRT is a college course. He said it might even be a um, postgraduate course. <laughs> but they learn systems, and then they implement the systems through their, through their mechanisms of teaching. So if you believe that black people are underrepresented in the subject of math, right? Then from that critical race theory lineage, you would go in and say, I'm not going to judge my black kids as harshly as I would judge my white kids. So the idea of critical race theory isn't being taught. But the effect of that being taught to you re uh, reflects in how you teach or how you put information out or how you judge and hold the children uh, accountable. You know, so this is where you you would look at um, uh, how certain kids are punished versus how other kids are not punished and what at what percentage those kids are being punished. So you say, okay, well, black kids are being punished more. So that means we're not gonna discipline the black kids at all. So what happens? You lose, it, it, it turns to chaos, you have no control and all the black kids suffer. So the problem with is not the study of the systems, it is their solution to it. And there are conservative solutions to be able to handle some of the systems uh, that have been put in place that are detrimental to Black America. There, there are conservative answers. And just because the answer provided is provided by a progressive doesn't mean the entire subject matter is not worth discussion. No, it just means that you have to be able to present an answer coming from your ideology. And for conservatives and Republicans, the answer is so fucking simple. Learn your own damn history. Like if you learned your own damn history, then they couldn't beat you over the head with your history. Like it, it's really that simple. And right now they're legitimately shooting you with your history and you don't know how to deal with that. And it is just like, pick up a book, man. <laughs> 
I just think about my kids when they go to school. Last thing I need them to learn about is that stuff. I need them to be experts in math and science and English and, you know, what's going to be able to uh, allow them to build. I I'll teach them their history. I don't need no white progressive teacher. My kids know history. I like the fact of when they teach them and my daughter comes in to tell me that I can show her where the buzzwords are. Like mm. I can show her like, okay, this is when she said this, this is when she was going into ideology instead of actually talking about the historical context itself. Because I think you can't so much try to shield them for it as teach them to be prepared to spot it. So yes. when they can spot it, any circle that they're in, their, their spidey senses will start tingling and being like, hold up, this, nah, this circle not moving the way I think this circle should be moving. And if you train your kids right, in the way you raise them right, in the way that they should go, then even a progressive in this day and age can't break that. Um, teacher tried to break my son. They, um, she said something about male privilege or something to that effect. And he challenged her on it. She ain't like it. And she couldn't win the argument. She was upset. Ended up having an email coming home. <laughs> I was like, that's my boy. <laughs> she had one where um, my daughter had one where she wanted to apply for a master class. And she had to have her teacher's uh, recommendation to be able to do it. And her teacher was like, you know, I think that class might be a little too, you know, advanced for you. And I don't want to like put you into something where I don't think you can handle it. And she, my daughter was like so upset. And she comes home and I'm like, oh, I can, don't worry. I'll call the school tomorrow. She's like, no, I don't need you to call the school. I'm going to handle it, you know? And cause she doesn't want me to call in and snap off and like embarrass her or do some something crazy. And she's been like this for like the last three years. She's like, I will handle it. If it gets to the point where I can't, I will call you. But for this point, just like, let me handle it. Okay. And so she's real responsible. She's very, very, very good kid. So I've been able to trust her in that respect. But yeah, she went and, and she got her last year's teacher to write the recommendation. And she went through the process, got accepted and everything. And then they ended up pulling her from the other teacher's class to be able to take the master's class. So she wasn't even in her class anymore. Mm. And I'm like, sometimes, you know, things just work themselves out when people want to hold you back. If you meant for it, if it's meant for you, then no matter how hard they try, then they can't stop you. And like when that lesson comes, you want to let them learn that lesson. You don't want to protect them from that. You want them to go through that so that they can see if someone tries to get in the future that it can work out and, and be okay. Oh, absolutely. Cannon Hotep says, Sonny burning down the house. Man, listen. Um, Hold on. I got two sets of notes here. This is how important this interview was to me. Um, We had an interview last week. Uh, on your show, Sirius XM, Patriot Radio. Um, and you mentioned a whole bunch of things about the civil rights movement. And that shit just went over my head. I'm like, I don't know what the hell she talking about. <laughs> just mentioning names I ain't never heard. I've been educated on civil rights by the white progressive. I don't know what you're talking about, Sonny. Um, can you mention those names again and tell me, like, you basically said, like, the civil rights movement was... um. Forget the language you use. Can you tell me what you what you said? Well, I think like at the time we were talking about 
the clip from Joe Biden where he had said that uh, George Floyd was more influential than MLK. Um, and he said it on MLK's birthday. So, wow, Joe. Um, but but um, he was right. And, and he was telling he, he was telling the truth. And I think he was symbolizing something that we all see, but we don't acknowledge yet. And I think we're everybody's is like waiting for it to go full blown, but we're in the process of it. And that to me is that the civil rights movement is dead. You know what I'm saying? It, it's over. Um, I made this call when they were having the protests from Ferguson and they did the big uh, thing in Washington, DC. And the civil rights people set up a VIP tent and the young activists came in and ripped that shit down and tore it down. And it was like, this is our movement. This is not your movement. You're not gonna come in and co-opt it. We wanna be heard, you know what I'm saying? And I was like, okay, this is it. Like y'all are over, y'all are over. And I Who, think who's y'all? Who is y'all? Of uh, the civil rights, the I get paid off a of civil rights generation. You know, like if I'm just being honest, the I get paid off a of civil rights generation. They're over, you know what I'm saying? And um you can see the change. And I think you saw their last flex with Biden and, and Clyburn and them coming out and saying, go for Biden, vote for Biden, Biden's our guy. And black people was like, okay, we're gonna go for Biden because, and now they're looking at Biden like, and now they're looking at this, yeah, this y'all fucked us up. Y'all did this to us. We followed y'all because y'all was supposed to be the elders with the wisdom and the, look what, look what y'all did to us. And um, so you're having an entire generation look at them like, yeah, no, this is not, this is not, we're not down for this. This whole nonviolence, turn the other cheek, not gonna fight back. Like, this is not the fuck who we are. And you maybe should have saved us from the crack generation if you wanted us to be that. You know what I'm saying? You let us go through one of the most violent destructive generations we could have possibly went through and then coming out the other side of it told us to be nonviolent. who the fuck are you kidding like you you put us in this position to make us the beast that we are and now when we stand in front of you pounding our chest you want to tell us to calm down like no you you should have you should have been feeding us steak while you was eating Cause then we wouldn't be as hungry as we are as animals. Now we're looking at you. So like, don't, don't, don't look at it and us that way. And I think that that's how this generation is seeing it. And it's funny to me, the funniest way I can put it is with the tiki torches and khaki pants, right? That's the funniest way I can put it. The, that generation like lost their fucking minds like crosses were being put up in front of their houses and bullets were coming through their windows at night. Like they lost their mind like it was that. All of my black friends was like, yo, it take us 15 minutes. Like give us 15 minutes and free run through that joke. It take us about, you know what I'm saying? We are handle that. None of my friends were scared of the, of the khaki pants and the tiki, 
Nobody. Real talk. So, <laughs> Real talk. you are dealing with an entire different generation. And that's going to come across as well in the activism. And that's, I think, what you, um, what you're seeing now is you're seeing that switch. So if you look at the Democrats and they're saying is now it's like up to like 34 or 35 Democrats that are not running for reelection. If you look at the AOC model, the AOC model is to run from the left and primary a Democrat and win. So you never actually have to face a Republican because as soon as you win the primary, you've won the election. You just sit and wait for for November to roll around. I don't get and, I don't get none of what you just said. I don't know what a primary is and Okay. So uh, an incumbent is the person that's already in office. So right. you say yeah, so the person is already in office. So they have what's called a primary. And that's so you can choose who you want to be your Democrat candidate. So there's one primary for Democrats and there's one primary for Republicans. And Running against the uh, incumbent or with Huh? It's Run, against the incumbent. Against the incumbent. Okay. So Democrat versus Democrat. If the incumbent is a Democrat, then they're in a Democratic primary. I got you. All right. And so this is what AOC did. She unseated a 27-year Democrat. Okay. He was in office 27 years. She came in, primaried him, beat him, and took his seat and never had to run against a real Republican. Mm. Because Republicans don't put up candidates in those districts. Oh, I see what so you're saying. This was their formula that they have been following. This is how you got Cory Bush. This is how you got uh, Omar. This is like every single one of them. They didn't have to go through a strong Republican candidate. All they had to do was remove the Democratic incumbent. Now you have 35 Democrats incumbents that are just saying we're not going to run anymore. Who do you think is going to run in those seats. The Democrats, now they don't even have to primary them. The Democrats are just walking away to let the Democratic Socialists come in and take the seats. If Republicans aren't going in to actually challenge the seats, you're gonna see the size of AOC's caucus grow substantially after this election cycle. While you have Republicans running around clapping their hands, thinking that they won something, they are going to see a, a, the AOC wing of the Democratic Party metastasize and grow, and they're going to do it without ever facing a Republican. Oh, you just fucked my head up. Okay, so. We have the midterm elections coming up. What what is that? That is um that's gonna be um the entire House of Representatives is up for election. So every two years, the entire house is up. Every single seat, every single two years. Uh the Senate rotates in one-third blocks. So this year, it will be one third of the Senate seats will be up. In two years, the next third will be up. So that way, it's always a rotation of senators, and it's never a completely fresh body uh, of senators, mm. where there can be a completely fresh body of people in the House. 
Mm. Um, but they, they reduced that from happening um, with the Senate. But there's no presidential election. And that's why it's called a midterm, because it doesn't have a presidential election. So basically, in races like this, it, it's to see if the party that is currently in power is able to maintain that power or if it swings back to the opposing party. And that's kind of the significance of it. And for people who are political junkies, it is basically the kickoff to like the 2024 election because all of that starts right now. What do you mean that all that starts right now? Like the campaigning? Fundraises the most, who goes out and um, campaigns for other people who can garner popularity, who can make the best connections, like who can um, secure the biggest volunteer base from, from places that they go. And that tells people a lot about whether they have hopes to run for president or not. So if you're able to go out in 2022 and help Republicans win 80 seats, then it, it starts to look good on you like you're a viable candidate for 2024. So that's what you see a lot of Republicans jockeying for now. Mm, mm, mm. That's interesting. Okay. I'm learning a lot right now. Um, so some people uh, have spread this conspiracy theory that um, they're easing up on the uh, pandemic restrictions uh, because of the midterms. Is that valid or is that like a distraction or is that completely missing the point? Is- um, I think that they're easing up because they couldn't get the money they wanted. I think that once they realized that the payday wasn't going to come in, um, they, they realized that it was, uh, it was expedient for the Democratic Party as a whole that they let this charade come to an end. But I think that it would have came to an end if they would have got the money passed. You know what, what I'm saying? What do you mean, do you mean they, by the money passed? Uh, if they got the bill back better and, and, and the huge influx of all of the money that they wanted, then it would have ended after that anyway, because the whole point is to get that money. And, and that was the point. So once the fight for the money ended, the fight for COVID ended. So it, it doesn't have to be as maniacal as they're just doing it for an election. No, it was in place and locked and wanted us to be scared to death and, and, and frightened for everything that they taken away from us to be given back to us that we would just give them this money and the money didn't come. And with that, without the money, what's the purpose of fighting? Yeah. Oh, wow. Are y'all learning? Uh, uh, chat, what up, chat? Y'all there? Press one in the chat if y'all there. Y'all learning? Are y'all taking notes? Because I'm learning a lot. I just, my political science acumen has just gone up at least 10 experience points. Um, okay, so midterms are coming up. What can we expect? What should we look for uh, during this time period? Um, for me, I, I think you're going to see Republicans, uh, the Liz Cheney's and the Mitt Romney's take over their party uh, as the, far as Republicans. The old rhinos? Yeah. Okay. They're going to, they're going to take over their party. They are the ones with the money, the fundraising and the infrastructure. Like conservatives can, you can think you got social media. You can say we got Joe Rogan. Like you can do all of this, but if you don't have the political structure 
to run caucuses, to like actually make the trains run on time, then you're going to be subject and whim to the people that do have that infrastructure. And I'm, I, I laugh because everybody is so like at the point where they're like, uh, Rana, Rana McDaniel, Rana McDaniel. No, it's Rana Romney McDaniel. Don't you fucking forget that. Like that's his niece. So that is she or... Yes, I think it's his niece. She's in his family. So just because she removed the name so that you forget the connection, don't forget the fucking connection. Like these people, they are not playing this short-term game that these little um like scalp pullers on social media, they're playing a, a petty little short-term win-nothing game. Liz Cheney isn't playing that game with you. That woman's too smart to play that damn game with you. Dick Cheney raised that woman. The fuck is wrong with you? And you think she's doing what? Not planning to take over every single thing she thinks that your team stole from her? Like, get the fuck out of here. You're going to see. And this is the funny part, right? I saw this happen in 2012. I watched this happen. Well, you had this vibrant Tea Party movement, grassroots, all coming up from the ground up and literally ran into a Republican party. It was like, no, sit down, shut the fuck up. Romney is the best that we have. And you saw them able to convince this huge group of grassroots, self-mobilized people that Romney was, in fact, the best that we have. And I'm just like, yo, when you are able to do that and to understand your base that well that you're able to pull something like that off, like, like I, it makes me have a different respect for how I look at Republicans and the fight that really needs to come to Republicans because they, they're, they're smart and they know what they're doing and they know how to play this game. And I don't think that the grassroots has a fucking clue about how to move against these people. So the two teams are what? It seems like there's the old guard with their children. And then there's, who's the other team? You said this grassroots or... Yeah, it is. I'm actually looking for something because okay. uh, it, Take it's, an to find it. it's an interesting um, article that is written by a, gay, a guy named uh, Josh Hammer. He is the uh, news editor over, or the opinion editor, I think. Yeah, he's the opinion editor over at, um, at Newsweek, okay? So Newsweek is a right-leaning publication. You know what I'm saying? So it isn't like one of these uh, lefty kind of rags. Okay, he wrote this article called The Only Path Forward is a National Conservatism. After this is over, I'm going to post this article on my Twitter timeline. Uh, if you get the chance to read this, go through and read this because they tell on themselves. You know, they, they expose themselves in a way that I think if most conservatives actually read it, you would understand the game that is being played on you. But, um, hold on. Okay, let me find it. Yeah, take your time and find it. Uh, Dub Wills, and tell us what to look for when we read that article, because, you know, some people are ignorant like myself. Um, chat, um, uh, are you enjoying it? If, you, if you're enjoying this, 
hit the Don DeMarco button on your home sound pad. Hit the one in the in the in the chat if you enjoy this. I'm watching battle rap every time you do that. <laughs> What's that uh URL um <laughs> with, uh smack smack. Uh, that's my guilty pleasure when I need to get away from politics before I strangle somebody. I love I love battle rap. Um did you find it? I found it. Okay. So this this is gonna explain a lot to you about where we are now with conservatism. And if you really understand it, you're gonna understand where we go next. Okay. So here it is. Any relevance of claims to either universal truth or empirical generalization notwithstanding, a political movement inherently arises in a specific time and place in order to address a set of concrete challenges. The so-called modern conservative movement is no different. Arising as it did in the early Cold War to address the circumstantial challenges of a menacing Soviet Union abroad and an overly tax pol policy at home. Oppressive communism's ascendance on the world stage coupled with oppressive Eisenhower era marginal tax rates that reached as high as 91% militated in favor of a Nazi political movement that viewed liberty and freedom as preeminent organizing principles at minimum and potentially even preeminent substantive ends to government. So what are they saying here? Because everybody wants to tell me that their conservatism is patriotism, it's the founding fathers, it's the constitution. No, the fuck it is not. Your conservatism was built to fight the Soviet Union and to keep tax policy low. That is what your conservatism was built for. Like, stop trying to think that they have you attached to something the founding fathers put out as a principle. It is not. They played you. They realized they needed you to come along with them. So they gave you liberty and freedom and the flag and the, oh, look. But that was to organize you. It wasn't to govern you. It wasn't, they're not governing you under liberty and freedom. They're not legislating you under liberty and freedom. The only time they talk to you about liberty and freedom is when they are organizing your ass to vote for them. Uh. That is the point of how the modern conservative system was put into place. It was not put into place off of founding principles. It was put into place to fight the Soviet Union, and to fight the progressive uh, income tax and keep that down. That's why it was put into place. So if you look at what's happening now, as if you look at the world, who is America's biggest foe? Putin and Xi Jinping. We're told it's Russia when it's really not. And if Europe wanted to stop Russia, they would. But they won't. That's why Trump was like, okay, y'all acting stupid. Build your own damn army. Finance your own damn shit. Be able to stand on your own because y'all are making stupid, like 
y'all are telling me Russia is so aggressive, but you won't let them build a fucking pipeline and, and supply all your energy? That sounds stupid to me. You're making stupid fucking moves. So the truth is, Europe could actually have a cancellation force on what Russia is able to do if they wanted to. So that is the answer for Russia right there. And Trump tried to tell everybody that was the answer. The one we don't have an answer for is China. Right. That's the one you don't have an answer for. Yeah. And if you start to look at how China got to the way that, uh, how China grew at the expedient rate that China grew, that was a lot of, let me see, uh, oh, free market principles. Yeah. That was a lot of free trade. That was a lot of, who, who was pushing these ideas? It wasn't Democrats. This was a Republican amalgamation of being pushed. And that Republican idea helped the Chinese to bleed us of millions and millions and millions of a manufacturing job. But that was all done under this uh, idea of lessening the progressive tax burden and being able to have free and open markets when in actuality it was everything but free fair and open mm -hmm. and but if they can get you saying the words and if they can get you under the organizing principles of it then you actually think that what you're doing is beneficial until you actually look around and see how they've hollowed out your entire manufacturing sector manufacturing sector then it's too late to do anything about it. That's facts. They absolutely have done that. They absolutely have. Um, thank you, Holly. She said, tag your favorite clip of Sonny Johnson, Hotel Jesus on Twitter. Hashtag, did she say that? Facts. Uh, Brody, what up, man? Hotel. Um, Miss Scott said, oh, this lady is blowing my conservative mind. Hey, hold on to your boots. They try to hide her. They be trying to hide her. They be trying to hide her. I won't allow it. This is who y'all should have been pushing. Y'all could have won a, a, a lot of elections. If y'all to put this lady in charge, it'd be the whole GOP would look completely different. They wouldn't be able to say, oh, we got the black vote over there on the left. The black vote would be on the right. Um, okay, Sonny. Um, let's come back to my previous call uh, about the midterms and what we can expect. Because you, you segued into that article. Thank you for doing that. Because that was mind-blowing. Because, um, again, I'm ignorant. And um, no, they said that, like, they've already pre-programmed you. So, like, you know how they went through that phase of, are you a nationalist? And then everybody was like, I love America, so I'm a nationalist. And everybody was like, I'm a nationalist. Nobody bothered for a fucking second that made me think, okay, before I say I'm a nationalist, what ideology actually controls my country? Because at the moment, progressivism controls your country. Are you sure you want to be nationalistic towards that? Are you sure that's what, that's a good idea? And I don't think that that's a good idea. And what I think is even more of a warning is when you see the idea of any kind of nationalism coming from the right. Because if a form of nationalism is coming from the right, then that means that they no longer believe in the Republic. They no longer uh, believe in the Constitution as it was written. And if you go and read this article, he, legit he uh, legitimately says in it 
that at a certain point, we're going to have to decide that our own personal autonomy and individuality should not uh, trump that of, of society. And A, if you're a conservative and you're saying that, then conservatism means nothing. That word means nothing. That's collectivism. Yes. But they, they, they call it national conservatism, so they can just play with the words and you don't understand that they're pushing for the same damn thing that the Democrats are pushing for. They just have a, a different name of it and they just want to be the people that control it. And I think that that's where, that's where we're heading. Everybody wants the Marxism. It's just who gets to control it when it hits. And I think that that's what they're vying for. Um. Okay. So... With the midterms, like, you know, um, and I'm not even asking for a prediction. I think what I'm trying to ask for is understand, like, what usually happens during midterms? Like, what are the Republicans running around doing? What are the Democrats running around doing? What are the um, mistakes that each side is making during this time? What are one, we as a people supposed to be doing and looking for? The one thing I would say that points out the most about the midterms is, um, the, the voter turnout greatly reduces. So you don't get as many voters in the midterms as you get during a presidential election. So uh, that greatly reduces. And the Democrats portion of the vote always greatly reduces. So where you have the Republican party that is more consistent in, in, in showing up over constant elections, it is really more sporadic when it comes to uh, the Democratic Party and their turnout during midterms. So uh, I'll put it to you like this. Barack Obama won in 2008. In 2010, which was his midterms for his first, um, for his first term of his presidency, that's where he got the shellacking that they call the shellacking where he got like beat everywhere and he lost like the house. It was close to uh, losing the Senate but he completely lost the house by like 70, 80 seats or something like that. And, um, and that was called like the great shellacking. But that shellacking happened because black people didn't show up. Black people didn't show up to vote for the Democrats. In 2012, that percentage of the black vote rose again because Barack Obama was back on the ballot. So if Barack Obama was on the ballot, you have more people that were willing to come out and actually vote and participate. When he wasn't on the ballot, they was basically like, uh, yeah, fuck that nigga and his agenda. And they didn't come out and support it. And that's why a lot of the things that they like, people try to blame Barack Obama. It wasn't his fault. If y'all asses had got up and came out and supported him in the midterms, then he could have got more shit passed for y'all. But the fact that y'all didn't get y'all ass up and come out and vote in the midterms, then it took away a lot of the power of what he was able to do. So you can't go around blaming him when you didn't get up and um and actually come out and give him the kind of numbers that he needed to be able to run the kind of agenda that you want to see. And I think you're going to see that same kind of replay um, come this time with uh, with this election cycle where a lot of the black population that showed up for Joe Biden two years ago will, will, will not be showing up for him this time. And it's kind of, that is the normal when it comes to uh, kind of to the midterms. Um, the most important election, this election cycle is not going to be in the House or the Senate. The most important election of this election cycle is going to be governor of Georgia. It's going to be 
uh, Stacey Abrams versus Kemp. And if Democrats are able to flip Georgia, Republicans are up shit's creek because no state in the South is going to be safe again, as far as the Republican being able to count on it as a solid vote. And if you look at the disadvantage of Republicans already coming in with the Electoral College, because the Democrats have New York, because the Democrats have California, and as the one substantial state, Republicans have Texas, even Trump said this and recognized this. The Republican comes in at a, at a disadvantage just because of the way that the states are, are, are separated. You can't continue to keep giving them states. Like <laughs> at, some at some point, you're not going to have any red states that are safe for you to run to. Herschel Walker, what's he running for? He's running, I think he's running for Senate in um, Georgia. Okay, Senate. Okay. Um, damn, Sonny, you know, you know, every fucking thing. Um, all right. So just to summarize and make sure I understand this correctly. Um, these midterms are usually good for Republican. Is that? No, they're usually good for the party not in power. For the party not in power. Yeah. So uh, Trump lost the House in the midterms. Why is I, I don't, I'm not understanding. Why is that? Why why is it for the ones not in power? Oh, um, because the people. Oh, because the people aren't showing up because their guys in the House. And they're too busy claiming scalps instead of organizing, or they Barack Obama's black face isn't on the ballot so they don't show up so there's different reasons whether you're looking from the Republican side or from the Democratic side both parties have their challenges but um yeah mostly that and it's usually kind of a referendum on where you see the country going you know what I'm saying and if you think that the country is going towards stability then you might they might you might not see as big a fluctuation in seat changes you know what I'm saying um, seeing Joe Biden over two years, be, being able to barely remember his name, I think you're going to see a really, really huge fluctuation in the numbers. Unless, um, even bigger so if Republicans actually competed in some of the areas that they have, have deemed to be unwinnable districts. You know, if they were to actually go in and and understand the district, understand the problems that are in it and actually provide conservative solutions, I think that they would be able to make a lot of headway. So if you look at like the city of, of, of Buffalo, New York, they had uh, a democratic socialist run as the Democrat uh, uh, and win the democratic primary. So uh, she, India Walton, she's complete democratic socialist, open about it, rah, rah, fiery, right? And she wins, and she actually lost the election to a write-in candidate. Republicans didn't run anybody, but the Black people that lived there was like, no, this bitch crazy, and we're not doing this. And they actually ran a write-in candidate. Once the candidate got up, then the Republican Party came in and was like, okay, we'll kind of help you do this. And it actually, and they actually won. And they stopped the Democratic Socialists from being from, from becoming mayor in, in Buffalo, New York. So the Black community, I think, is very, very aware of what some of these people are trying to do. And if you give them the opportunity of choice, 
you might be surprised how many actually choose free market principles, growth, and, and ownership. Wow, this is the mayor of Buffalo you're saying this race was. Yes. Wow. Buffalo, New York. Mm, mm, mm. Um, Lauren Elise said, uh, Sonny is leaving me speechless. Thank you so much for this whole tap. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I couldn't wait to do this one. Um, we're going to come back to elections. We're going to go back to black people. Um, the civil rights movement has, uh, as a historical story, has uh, W.E.B. Du Bois and Martin Luther King's name attached to it. And Martin Luther King is like, you know, the face of it all. Who would you, when you think of civil rights movement, who do you think of? A. Philip Randolph. Who is that? A. Philip Randolph was uh, one of the, was a union boss. So um, at the time, so you're coming off of, uh, of slavery and the industrial North starts to kind of explode, right? And along with that uh, industrial North explosion, came the spread of unionization. Um, there was large, there were black populations in the North that were, that kind of had not experienced slavery. You know what I'm saying? And for the most part, um, most of the communities weren't racist. They weren't segregated. They were, you know, you know, just functioning communities and, and people kind of mind their business to stay to themselves. But um, as, the unions start to spread and um, progressivism start to spread and segregation start to spread. A lot of those practices that became popular in the South started to spread to the North. And one of the areas where it hit was the area of unionization. So at the time then, two of the biggest unions that existed were the AFL, which was basically like the white union, and the CIO, uh, which was basically, it was a mixed union. It wasn't a black union because there were a lot of white uh, uh, laborers who didn't want to be a part of a white union. They wanted to be a part of a mixed union. They wanted, you know, they wanted that. So they actually believe in the tenets that were pushed by Marxism that it was supposed to be equalization. They actually believed in that. And so that's why you had this kind of mixed CIO against an all white uh, AFL. Uh, the AFL was given immense power under FDR when they passed the Wagner Act. And this gave them uh, a, a lot of power about like, this is where you kind of get your minimum wage. This is where you kind of get your five day week. Your, you know what I'm saying? This is where they start to lay all of those barriers that we will look at now as the work modern work schedule and and that a lot of that was shaped during this time period with the AFL and their um their attachment to the uh to the Wagner's Act. Here's another thing about the Woodrow Wilson thing. When Woodrow Wilson segregated the government and segregated the um the functions of government, one of the other things he did was deny black unions government contracts. Mm. So while this is this is the pivoting point of the civil uh, of the civil rights era, once they they started to deny the black unions 
government contract. That's when the Black Union said, okay, no, enough of this BS, we're fighting. A lot of the protests and mass mobilizations you saw during the civil rights era were those union people coming in because they knew that they had to grow their, growth, their numbers. They had to make their um, impact bigger. So one of the ways that they were able to make their impact bigger was not only going south pushing civil rights legislation, but also going south pushing unionization and trying to get more black people into their union so they would have more numbers, then be able to use more force against the AFL and actually be able to force government to, um, to actually start giving those contracts back to the black unions again. So the very first, the march on Washington was actually supposed to happen under Harry Truman. Mm. A. Randolph and his union buddies were going to go and march on Washington for black jobs, equality, like all of that stuff. Truman didn't want that put out. So that's why he went and moved as fast as he did. He did not uh, resegregate the military quickly. It took time for that. He, he waited on that. He slow walked that. But the thing that he did immediately would start issuing government contracts to union workers. That was what actually stopped the first march mm. on Washington and prevented it from happening because they made that concession and A. Philip Randolph was like, cool, got you. We, we ain't gonna march no more, we good. <laughs> After, so then the Supreme Court starts to weigh in on the Wagner Act and is like, yeah, no, they gave y'all motherfuckers way too much power. We about to start snatching some of this shit back. So now the AFL is like, wait a minute, we was running it because we had this power. Now you're taking this power away from us. And not only are you taking this power away from us, but you now giving the black people government contracts too. You know what I'm saying? Like you're screwing us. And then they, so they got into their mind and realized we can't do this by ourselves. We can't stay segregated. Like it, it, as a union, it's not going to work. The way a union works is that you have the most people. The more people you have, the more impact you have. So this is the point where they started to realize that integration would be better th for them than segregation. And if you go and you look at the AFL-CIO sign, it is literally a white hand and a black hand joining together signifying the pact that they made when they created that union and actually integrated. Um, and then that's what you see turn into the civil rights march on Washington, where it was completely financed and put into place by the unions more than it was anything that Dr. King had to do with. Lord Jesus. God damn. We getting black history today. We getting American history today. We getting white history today. Oh my God. Um, you mentioned Wilson segregated the government. What do you mean by that? Was, is that what well, you're talking about with the union thing and taking away the... Well, that was one part of it, denying the union contracts. That was one part of it. But um, Woodrow Wilson, he, he realized the same thing that the Daughters of the Confederacy kind of realized, that the white men in the South were broken. And he knew as a country... You can't survive if one third of your male population is broken. And so like, that's kind of initially where he was like, the one thing I could do most for the country is like kill these people. 
And, and that's kind of the methodology they went about accomplishing that healing. And he segregated. This is actually how your federal ID system started coming into place because they, they started being like, okay, um, it, it wasn't like you could actually come in and see you and they know you were black. You would just kind of send in a resume in and um, they can't tell, you know, what you are or, or, you know, so that's one of the reasons they started asking for IDs and you would send in your ID or picture your, when you uh, sent in your resume or your job so they could actually delineate, oh no, that's not, that's, you know, and that's kind of how that system started to build itself and to grow and we would start getting social security numbers and all that other BS after that. But that's all the building blocks. <laughs> that's all the building blocks of this coming into place. But um, yeah, it, it was uh, it was to make his white one third of the country feel like they had not lost their country, that their country was still kind of in their control, that it was still um, white men in power and the race that beat them, I guess, if that's the way that, that white Southerners wanted to look at was not going to uh, be able to usurp them in power, especially when it came to such a sacred place as like the White House and uh, the seat of the federal government. And, and, he, and he just, he kicked all the niggas out. I think he kept like two of them that were janitors. Out of the White House? Yeah, out of the federal government. So like after the Civil War, basically we just started integrating. We just, uh, you know, just started melding together wasn't no use for a whole bunch of existential laws or anything like that. We just kind of started figuring out we need each other and we need to survive and we need to be like, you know, we just started realizing that. And it wasn't like, it wasn't until you actually, you get these pockets of segregation, right? And then these pockets start to grow and they take over cities. And then those pockets start to grow and they take over states. And then those pockets start to grow and they take over political parties and then they take over the White House. If you look at the structure of any kind of movement or legislation, that's the way it works. It starts locally, you get it growing, it's grassroots, it builds itself up, it starts to spread to the city level, it starts to grow, it starts functionality, goes up to the state. By the time you get to the state level, you're able to influence national politicians in a way that you can get legislation moved to a federal uh, kind of destination and, and actually have it passed. And for this reason is why we have civil rights legislation. If Republicans had stopped Wilson in his tracks. So when Wilson was like, okay, we're gonna resegregate the government and we're gonna do this. If Republicans came in and said, hell no, we just fought a war for this. Like we just, we just went through this we're not doing this. We're not playing this game. This is not weak. We're going to use every system of the court we can use to fight it. We're going to use every system of legislation we can use to fight it. We, you are not going to take us back down this hellhole road again, road again. If Republicans had flexed with that kind of energy, you would have never got civil rights legislation because you would have never needed civil rights legislation. The civil rights of Black Americans would have been protected from the get-go and it would have been no need to have a, uh, a growth of government at the federal level, the size that was there, if, if 
it had been handled at the local level, if it had been handled at the city level, if it had been handled at the state level. And that's the thing about Republicans where you can be like, Democrats did KKK, Democrats did Jim Crow, Democrats did this, but your ass was sitting there right beside them watching it happen, but because it wasn't happening to you, you ain't say shit. So in and of itself, if you ain't say nothing, then it makes you just as culpable as the people that went around, in my opinion, and and, and strung up the news. Mm. Woodrow Wilson just kicked niggas out of government. He could do that. Yeah, he has. He's the power of the executive. He is the executive of government. He gets the amount of power that the president has when it comes to um to choosing the workforce, not just the workforce in itself, but every regulation that governs that workforce. And then if you add on top of that, what they did later by unionizing that workforce, what you really have is a bureaucracy that is hard for any normal American citizen to fight against. It's barriers upon barriers upon barriers of government. And to be able to penetrate it, you better be looking at Bill Gates type uh, of resources. Um. All right, so let's change gears. We're going to go back to elections, election talk. Um, I keep hearing about this name, DeSantis, DeSantis, DeSantis. Uh, what's the 411 in this guy? Is he a viable candidate for presidency or is he the flim flam? Is he? Um, you really can't tell until they're put into that, until they're put in position, right? Uh. And honestly, you can't. And I, I wouldn't like attempt to. I would say before you could look at him and say, I can make the case as for why he is a principal conservative. But I think as you see more and more of kind of what they're doing in Florida and how he's letting the political conversation guide him more than the principles. I think that like you play politics and there's consequences for it. So if you choose to play fast and lose changing on principle without having a set and steady, uh, set and steady course, then it's easy for people to trip you up. And I think if you look at the amount of freedom that DeSantis has given to the people, not has given, let me let me take that back because the American people can't be given their freedom. But um, the amount of freedom that he's released they, from shackles. Know, yes, that that kind of aspect of it. Um, they are going to put a target on him, probably worse than they would even target Trump at this point. Because um, most people who go to Florida, they're when they come back, they're like, I don't even think COVID's in Florida. And then, you know what I'm saying? And they have kind of a, oh my God, because like when I went down, I, um, you know, you have to wear the mask when you get on the plane or, you know, fight with TSA and I'm not trying to be on somebody's TikTok video. Um, <laughs> but you got to uh, wear the mask. And so I wore the mask got out the airport, took the mask on, did not put the mask back on until I came back to the airport to catch the flight home. And when I got home, I was like, yo, fuck these masks. And I haven't, I don't wear masks anywhere around here. And if you want to say something to me about it and make a big deal about it, I'll leave your store and I don't have to spend money with you. I'm very comfortable with that. Right. 
that that was my thing with DeSantis. It seemed like he was just playing a talking point game, right? Like, oh, this is the popular conversation, so that's what I'm going to focus on. I think he's learning to maneuver national politics, and I think honestly, everybody that makes their first incursion into national politics, everybody needs a learning curve because it is very different than handling your local politics. They want very, very different things from you. They know how to target you in in specific ways. They know how to get specific sound bites out of you. And I think that if I'm just being honest and fair, anybody that makes their kind of their real first incursion on a national stage, it's always pretty much uh, is a learning experience and nobody really comes in and nails it and gets it perfect. Um, does he have a chance to uh, be of being, I guess, even a viable Republican candidate? Um, Are they running him? Like, tell me what's going I, on in GOP. Are they running him? I think you're going to see someone from that Romney, Liz Cheney ilk, present themselves and, and, and be the grown up in the room and, and the, you know what I'm saying? That kind of, um, got that they're, polished. They're coming back for their party. Like, they're not going to just give it to you. You're going to have to fight it and take it out of their cold, dead hands. They're not going to give it to you. And if you're imagining that Trump has somehow built the infrastructure necessary to actually take it from these people, you've lost your damn mind. Y'all have four years to build it, but y'all went after imaginary scalps and symbolism instead of actually building something long term. So, um, yeah, good luck with that. What What is... um. What has to be built? You keep talking about this infrastructure, right? Like what has to be built? I guess this is winning the house seats with real people and not the Romney types. Okay, yeah. So there is a specific Republican committee that just handles house seats. Okay. There's another specific Republican committee that just handles Senate seats. There's a different Republican committee that just handles governorships. Like there's a different Republican committee that handles local races and the races that they actually run it. So like there are legitimately all of these different committees that make the Republican Party run. You telling me you you don't have control of none of them, but you will take back the party. Good luck. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, come on, that's you're you're fucking not. And most people don't even know what these what these committees do they don't even understand the difference between like the uh county the county republican party and the regional kind of republican party because even not only is it broken down in house and senate and state and local but then they have it all broken down into regional and 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 and, like they have the system in place to make the train run on time Okay, Republican Party is a business. It is it is a legitimate 
freaking business and they have a business structure that operates and you don't know anything about it. You don't know anything about the committees. You don't know how they're scaled. You don't know who handles the money. You don't know how separated the money is from the messaging. You don't know how, how separated the money is from the messaging from the grassroots. Like you don't know anything about the system, how the system operates, but you're gonna sit and tell me you're gonna take it over. Yeah, I don't believe you. Like I, I don't, I don't, I don't believe you. Like I'm sitting up here trying to tell conservatives and Republicans um, what it actually means to have a republic and why local government should actually matter in it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm trying to teach you the basics of that. And you telling me you taking over a whole, you know, the Republican senatorial commission? Yeah, right. I don't, <laughs> I don't believe you. And you can tell this if you look at the election cycle from last cycle in, 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 in 2020. When the Republicans came out uh, after it, Mitch McConnell was like, we won all our seats. Like all the ones we was responsible for, we won all of them. Fuck you and your presidency. We, that wasn't what we was responsible for. We didn't have nothing to do with that. That's you that messed that up. But go look at what we did. And this was literally their talking point. This was literally what they were saying. It's like, if you don't understand that flex, if you don't understand what they're trying to tell you with that, like you, you can't beat these people. Like these people don't need to take you seriously because you're you're not meant to be taken seriously. Oh, uh, you're not meant to be taken seriously. Oh, I man. mean, not if you're gonna tell, if like you're gonna take over our party, we're gonna win. No, you're not, yo. If you're not, if you're not taking over your your local party, if you're not actually influencing how they set up primaries, how they set up caucuses, how they like, if you're not doing that work, you're, you're not doing anything. And I think that the one you can see where the Republicans vision is in this is they got everybody so distracted. So what are they doing now? They're pushing, we need massive amounts of volunteers to go out and actually be poll watchers. We're going to teach you how to be election workers. We're going to have, yeah, why aren't you going to teach them how to take over this damn party? Mm. Why aren't you teaching them about how, how to take over a committee seat and what's necessary? Like, why aren't you taking, why aren't you teaching them the things necessary for them to become integrated into the political party that you say they are such important to? You're not giving them the tools to put them in place there. No, you want them to go phone bake and knock doors and, and go outside of the problem and do what we tell you to do. Stop coming in here and, and think that you can participate and grow folks' business. And that's legitimately what they tell Republicans and conservatives. And Republicans and conservatives are like, okay. And they go knocking doors. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this is so fascinating to me. Um, okay. So, um, we got the, uh, the DeSantis's of the world, right? And then we got the Mitt Romney's. I like to say, can I say the Pence's? No, I think Mike Pence is just like a good guy. Okay. He seems so sharp though. Like, yeah, point. I, I, I wouldn't, I, 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 I okay. would say probably he could make friends with both sides and mm. it would just depend on that day. 
what side of pinch you got. You know what I'm saying? But I think that there is a great percentage of the Republican Party that can go either way. And I think the one of one of the best people you can see as an example is Dan Crenshaw. So Dan Crenshaw comes in and he's like, like totally the Trump side. He's like totally the outlaw, the badass, like, oh, you know, that 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 standoffish figure. Now look, I think that Liz Cheney needs to be defended. Like, you know what I'm saying? So I, I think that there's a, a good crossover of people that could go either way. And if they don't stand on principle, more than likely you'll see them kind of go towards the Romney side of it because that's where the real power is. That's where the real infrastructure is. That's where the real opportunity is long-term. Like that's the real party. You know what I'm saying? What The temporary uh, flirtation with Trump that actually uh, built nothing long-term, nobody's looking at that as a model of replication. But understanding what they have built long-term and being able to access your place in it, I think that's where you find a lot of the candidates often end up. Even if they didn't mean to or intend to, it's just kind of the way the party structures itself. Um, what's going on with this Mitch McConnell cat and Biden and their relationship? I keep hearing about this. I have no idea what's going on. They're friends. They've always been friends. And, and you know how, to, uh, how it's like we're supposed to think that they fight each other and they, they, they hate each other. They don't. Um, they, they, they just they really don't. And they're. They find ways to work together to protect each other. Um, they can have knockdown, drag out fights, but in the end, they know if they leave one of the others unprotected or undefended, it won't be long before they're the other. And I think that that's why you find so many of them, like even with like the idea of the filibuster and they're like, are you sure you want to do that? Yeah, I think we want to do that. But are you really, really sure? Because they're going to be able, and you know what I'm saying? It's that game that they um, that they play back and forth, forward with each other. And this is what we kind of need to understand not only were they handed a game, they handed, they were handed a game, they took possession of the game, they reinvented and reinforced their rules of the game, and that's how we're operating now. If you do not start getting fresh new faces in that are learning that game, learning how to move, learning how to swag, learning how to talk to the parliamentarian and get them to put your bill in the short-term uh, uh, focus run. Like, if you don't know the tricks that make the system work, again, how the hell can you take over the system? And this is what you look at when you see people like Mitch McConnell, when you see people like uh, McCarthy in the House, is that their long-term presence not only um, speaks to their political popularity in their district, but it also speaks to their necessity of participation to keep the trains running because they know how to, to, um, to keep the Judiciary Committee completely from going batshit, how to not let power be usurped by whichever party is in power by making sure they have splits. And like, they've come up with all of these little tricks 
to kind of defend and protect themselves from going too far. I kind of like uh, look at it um, with the colleges when they, uh, when they have, they're like, okay, give us a law that tells us what percentage of black people we need to let in so that we don't get in trouble and not let enough black people in. So you give us some laws and once you set the rate, then we know how to move within the rate that you set. You know what I'm saying? And that's that's what they start doing at Congress. Just give us a rule. You know, tell us what, what uh, stocks we can't trade. And then we'll figure out which ones we can. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> so give us, you know, give us a baseline of a rule. Yeah. And and then we'll figure out how to either regulate, legislate, or to just downright ignore and defend um, everybody that's taking advantage of it within their circle. And this is why you have so many people that come in broke and leave as millionaires because they all learn how to play the game. And if you're not putting people in that know how to play the game and are principled enough to not play the game, we just learning here. We're not trying to go in and, and be Tiger Woods at the game. You know what I'm saying? We're not trying to go and be Kobe at the game. No, we just want to go and learn it. Then once we learn it, we know how to destroy it. And with destruction gives you a chance for creation. With creation gives you the chance for growth. And I think that that's where we find ourselves now. Wow. Trump. Um, does he have a chance to run in the next election? Will he have enough support maybe from the people or the committees or? I think that really matters. I think that depends a lot on social media. Mm. Um, if they're able to continue to block him and not put, uh, reinstate him, even if he starts to run and they see that he is viable as a candidate, but they are still blocking him and not giving him access, I think that that's going to make it very, very hard for him to tell a narrative story that combats what they've done over um, the last four years. And I, I would, I would, I would just caution to the Trump team, like going, uh, yelling around, going around and yelling Biden sucks or let's go Brandon or like any of these things. It might feel good and you might get the tingle up your leg, but you again, you're not putting the necessary uh, pieces in place to be able to build something long-term and, and, and something that will not only serve you over the course of your presidential term, but that you can actually leave as a legacy. And if Trump had thought about things like that when he got into office and he wanted to build the border wall, yo, you could have already knew the Republican senators that was going to be causing you shit about that border wall. And you could have been primary in them along with you while you were running. So mm. if you know Romney's not going to pass the border wall, I need a candidate that's running against the primary against Romney. I need the candidate running at the same time that I'm running because I need to take the candidate over the finish line. You know, so if you start setting it up and thinking about it like that going in, you wouldn't have met so much resistance from the Republican stalwarts that was there that didn't want to let uh, Trump really have any successes at all. And um, like they had Paul Ryan. So when Trump got into office, the Republicans had all four, uh, all three kind of areas of government. They had the House, they had the Senate, and they got the White House. Um, the Speaker of the House at that time, they decided to give it to Paul Ryan. 
All right, Republican, long-time Republicans been there. Paul Ryan announces that he is going to retire. He is not going to run again. At which point, what should they have done? Um, said, no, okay, if you're not going to run again, I'm. we're not going to give you the most important job in the entire fucking house. You have the most power. You set the agenda. You 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 got control of basically how we move, when we move, why we move. If that person told you that they wasn't running again, would you give them that power? Wait, what? What's the power he had? What, to what? set the agenda, to say what bills come up, to say when they come up. What's that position called? The Speaker of the House. That's what Nancy Pelosi has now. Nancy Pelosi's position now. Oh, that's what that person does. Yes. They, they set the, the agenda. Basis. They set the agenda. They set the rules. They have a lot of power about how things work, what bills come up, what bills don't come up. There's a lot of power in that position. Would you give that position to someone that told you that they they, they were retiring? Nah. Nah. Because now, who, who do they have to be held accountable to? Close. Nobody. So what do no accountable to nobody? Oh, so accountability. After, right, right. Yeah, after it's over, they're leaving. So whatever they do to you, I mean, what? Right. So that's when you look at Trump not being able to get his border wall passed, him having to search around in the budget looking for money for it because the Republicans wouldn't give him the funding and the bill. They were like, you didn't do any of the patchwork. You needed to make sure the Republican snakes wasn't there biting at your ankles. Mm. And they still haven't done any of that grass work, that, that, that fundamental foundational work that is able to pry apart some of the political power that the Democrats have uh, consolidated when it comes to American institutions, and especially when it comes to institutions like Congress. Lord have mercy. Um, Lauren, I'm going to ask you a question to Sonny. Let me get through these super chats real fast. Tune in, drop out. So how about a third party? Um, what's the name? Jimmy. If you can't take over a weak and defective Republican or Democratic Party, how are you going to build a third party? Like, let's 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 like be honest. You can't even take over broken infrastructure that is already there, but you're going to create infrastructure from scratch to be able to take on the two political monsters that completely that currently exist. How long is it going to take you that? How long is it going to take you to build that? And how far down the road towards Marxism will we be when you actually get it foundational? <laughs> There's your answer, um, Jimmy Dos Hotel. What up? He said. Uh, and we have to fight them on a local level. We can't get them out until we actively have a local level that tells them piss off. Uh, the Green Henry Show. Would Sonny support Tim Scott in 2024? How would GOP win most black community hearts without some cliche message but something that truly connects? Marathon continues. That is a fucking message right there. Marathon continues. I don't have to explain to black people what that means. Mm -hmm. Black people know what that means. I'm not changing what Nipsey said. I'm going to leave it in his original form. I'm not going to add to it because then you will think I'm trying to twist something and manipulate it in a way that I'm not trying to twist it and manipulate it. No, 
the marathon continues. The blueprint that Nipsey gave us that all of us was so gung-ho and beating our chest about following, that same damn blueprint. I'm not trying to invent something you don't already know your damn self. You figured it out amongst you and your boys when you realized that if y'all ate together, y'all ate better. That's what we're talking about. That voluntary association that realizes not only do you have a support system that helps you build and to grow, but you also have people that are building and growing right beside you to make sure that you become a support system for your entire community and not just your individual selves. Like, this is not, this is not a sunny creation. This is something a lot of us learn the hard fucking way. And I'm not trying to teach you or reinvent the wheel. I just want to connect what I am trying to say to what you already know to be true. So when Jay told you stop shooting yourself over the blocks that you don't own, that's what I'm talking about. Let's stop doing that and stop or start owning these blocks. That's the kind of thing that we're talking about. And we have an entire culture that has been pushing us that way. And when we start to attach that cultural push, to political, uh, to policy, and how that policy actually moves forward to what we're trying to obtain, then we're gonna have a lot more success. And then, and then, then again, if you go and you look at like some of the information that's being released about uh, Nipsey out in California and how they're trying to shit on this man's name when he's already gone, and um, investigative reports about how they were. Um, tailing him and surveilling him. And they were doing basically anything that they could within their power to bring this man down because he was trying to uplift his people. I'm not trying to sell black people anything you didn't buy already. I'm just saying let's activate it in a political way that actually brings us benefits. Are we about to walk down that Nipsey hustle road of what you, cause you just, you just dropped some conspiracy shit on me just now. <laughs> What about it? I mean, how? You said they were, who, whose day was following them? And they was the, the local mm -hmm. police, the FBI or? The government, the, the local uh, Los Angeles uh, government. They were trying to get him thrown out of the building, out of the complex. And this is the danger about some of these damn opportunity zones that people want to keep running around talking about, but not actually understand the effect that that has when you give that amount of power to a progressive localized government and how they abuse it and militarize it. So um, one of the things Nipsey was doing in his store was he was trying to hire felons, get them a place to work and be able to come in. One of the laws that they have out in California, basically, and this is one of the laws they actually just removed, was one of the laws that they had, it was like a gangland law, which says that uh, convicted felons, once you're released, you're not allowed to have any kind of interaction with other convicted felons. Mm. So that means Nipsey wasn't able to allow, uh, able to help some of, you know, the guys that he wanted to help because their records kind of um, interacted with each other. But of course, Nipsey's like, fuck you, yo, I'm not, I'm going to help the motherfuckers I know need help. So he was actually doing it anyway. So they were trying to use that to get him thrown out of his building where he was at, where he was starting to actually build uh, the entire complex out. So the owner of the complex found out what was happening. Is this he where the marathon to... store was, this complex? Or is this yeah. some... Okay. Yeah, this is where the marathon store was. Um, the owner of the entire strip mall where the marathon store was, he found out that what the government, what the local government was trying to do to Nipsey and get him kicked out. And, and so he's like, there's not much I could do. 
for you because they're fucking me. You know what I'm saying? If I don't do what they say, then they're going to come for me and it's going to screw me. So, um, so he was like, okay, solution for it. Why don't you just buy the whole strip? So when Nips died, when Nipsey Hussle died, he was in the process of buying the whole strip mall. So he was going to take out the fast food, the, you know, all the unhealthy stuff, bring in healthy options, bring in uh, a tech center where kids would be able to come and actually have access to, um, to technology that they didn't have at home. So like he was going to transform that strip mall into, you know, the marathon, into, into Nipsey Hall, whatever you want to call it, before, before he was murdered. And they are now trying to go in and take over the entire, uh, the entire mall, the entire strip mall. And then once they take it over, it's going to be sold to their white progressive friends and it's going to be gentrified. Mm. I knew this interview was going to be heavy, but God damn. So I'm just saying to black people, you want to run around talking about the marathon continues. That really requires us to be the marathon. Um, this guy asked, would you support Tim Scott in 2024? I'm not, uh, putting my support behind anybody at the moment. Great answer. Um, Nicole, thank you. She said uh, that he did not, did, they did not have the Senate, Sonny. Trump never had 60 votes. The Senate isn't 60 votes. The Senate is over 50. Uh, if you have the majority in the Senate, it's 100 seats, so over 50 is the Senate. Having a filibuster-proof majority is a very, very rare occurrence. Um, and the Senate altogether. And basically the Senate, that's why the Senate was structured the way that it was structured, because it really didn't want one party to have access to that much power. And it was actually put into place to kind of slow down the levers of government to make it go slower, to make us be more rational, more thoughtful, more um, conceptual in, in what the actual outcome of it would be. But yes, he had over 50 senators and therefore um, he was able to change, to set the agenda in the Senate. Nicole, you picked the wrong one. Um, Lauren, she said, uh, can you ask Sunny about Kristen Cinema? Who's that? She is the um, senator down in Arizona and she's one of the ones who uh, held her ground when it came to uh, getting Build Back Better passed and also with them passing uh, the filibuster. So she's a Democrat. Uh, she's wacky, She, you know, she's fun and she's principled, whether I agree with her or not. Um, she is what she presents herself to be, but if you wanna be a fan of Christian cinema, then you should probably give that same amount of respect to Mitt Romney when they buck their party because that's what both of them did. And if you're gonna be celebrating her for bucking her party, don't be mad when Romney bucks yours. Mm. Wow, good point. Um, hold on now. I gotta go to my other thing here. Um, ah, the deep questions. I got two deep questions for you. Yes, Papa Hotep, this is a very heavy interview. Um, you have one wish. Me and the homies, the Hoteps, we have gone around the galaxy and we have collected all seven Dragon Balls. 
<laughs> and Shinra's about to pop out. And uh, we say, Sonny Johnson, we have all seven Dragon Balls. You get to make the wish. We're going to donate the dra- the, all seven Dragon Balls to you. And you get to make that wish. You get to wish for anything in the world. It doesn't have to be politics related. It doesn't have to be. It could be anything in the world. It's your world. It's your Dragon Ball. When Shinra pops out, he's going to say, who called me? <laughs> this, is gonna be, this would be a crazy answer. But I, I honestly, the way I'm feeling in this exact moment, I wish that people understood integrity. Ooh. You know, I wish that people understood integrity. And understand what it means when someone puts their name and their reputation on the line for you and you just shit on it. You know what I'm saying? And and you have no integrity about yourself to even consider what you've done. And I've come to the point where I realized that you can't expect everybody to kind of operate at the same integrity level that you have. But boy, would it be nice if motherfuckers just had a moniker of integrity and actually walked with it. Because you just see the lack of that and that that basic respect, because why would you have to respect someone? Why would you have to think about someone other than yourself? Like that in this business, that's that's the one thing I can't stand because not only does it put my name and my reputation on the line, but it also puts the name and reputation of the people that I'm vouching for you towards. It puts them on the line. and. For people to have such little respect for that is like at this moment, it would just be integrity. Beast of an answer right there. You know, so this month I've only interviewed black women. Gothics, uh, uh, Tory Nicks, Kim K from Baltimore. And you next week, I'm bringing in, um, project Rook. So I'm gonna have five black women. We started the year out with, um, that's a hell of an answer. I got one more. I got one more hypothetical situation for you. Then I'm gonna let you go. The hoteps have successfully captured the minds of the black community. And they're like, hoteps. Okay, fine. Lead us to salvation. And we appoint you as queen. We say she is new de facto leader of the black community, Ms. Sonny Johnson. And uh, we're going to give her an unlimited amount of executive orders. But I'd like to know what are, what's the first executive order or what are the first series of executive orders that you would issue to align the black community with prosperity within, I would say, within the borders of the American nation? within the United States of America. Um, and, and for me, I think this question leads into 
how you what problems you view as being most important from the black community. Um, and it'd give me a lot of insight on how you think. What 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 would you and I think I know what you might allude to, but what 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 <laughs> what, what is your executive order? Three reversal of legislation, regulation, and taxation. Because that is that is you understanding how we got to this place. Okay, now hold on real quick. We excluding the United States government completely. Yeah. We have no control over that. The oh, wait a minute, what do you mean? This is just well, this is just the black folks. We not dealing with the government, the White House, none what? of that is the policies that currently regulate us at the local level still in place because that's the issue um that's the issue the issue isn't whether white savior from federal is going to come down and you know that's not the issue the issue is what does a regulation look like on the ground like are, are you going to try to um charge people exorbitant amount of monies because they want to be second amendment owners so if they want to get a gun, are you going to be like, okay, well, that's going to be a $500 license and registration? Or like, are, are we doing that? Uh, you know what I'm saying? So you have to understand how all of these things were layered, how they were put into place. And those three things, while they may be different in every single area we go to, so Black people in New York, the solution for you there is not going to be the same solution as, for, as Black people in Atlanta. But they're all going to fall under the same three categories. Understanding what they did with regulation, understanding what they did with legislation, and understanding what they did with taxation. If you understand those three aspects of how they kneecapped our society, and you begin to re, uh, reverse engineer those specific three areas, that's where you're going to see growth. And look, Look at what Trump and them did when they first got into office. What was the first three things that they did when they got into office? They went after taxation, they drastically reduced the regulation, and then they tried to limit legislation as much as they possibly can about implementing new rules or guidelines or anything like that. So these are the three basic things that Republicans know when they actually get power, they actually do. Mm. Those three things are the three building blocks that we need to reverse engineer what has started to happen. And this will start to alleviate some of the complaints you hear from the black community where they're like, America won't let us grow. America won't let us. As an individual, if you're using that as an excuse, as an excuse for why you won't get up off your ass and be successful, then we as black people should not accept it. But if you're as, a, as an individual who has made a success of your life and now you're looking about looking at a way that you can reciprocate that success back into your community, but you're being blocked, you're being hit with government, you're being regulated and legislated and taxed into a position where you're not able to be a benefit to your community, those are things that we need to fix. So it's not an issue of looking at the cultural side of it. It's about actually looking at the political policy side of it and fixing those things. And then trusting black people once the boot is removed to understand what we're able to actually build and create if we work together with voluntary association. Mm. Group economics. Mm. Mm. You know, Sonny, 
prior to this today's conversation, I was uh, very skeptical about politics. And the more I listen to you talk, number one, I, I need to, we need to like escape my family, your family, we need to go to Mar-a-Lago or somewhere for about three months. And I just need to be a student. <laughs> you need to just say, sit down, read these books. Da, 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 da. That's one thing I want to do. I did. I was able. And this is one reason why I constantly bring up the Tea Party, because that's what the Tea Party gave me. They were like, no, look at how these systems like they weren't like, hey, bring black people to vote for us. That's not what they were telling me. They were like, understand why this was put into the Constitution. Understand like they wanted me to understand the backside of how the politics work as opposed to being a black face that just brought black people in. And I think Republicans and conservatives might want to revisit that form of outreach because that was a lot more beneficial than what they're doing now. A lot of people have asked me to get into politics. And today you've considered you've, you've changed my mind a bit. I'm leaning more towards, I wouldn't say running or anything like that. I'm more like, I kind of just want to run like, stand next to a candidate and yeah, hold his ass what accountable. You, what you have the ability to do, and this is why I think you're so sharp, or this is what I admire so much about you, is that you look at a situation, you see a problem, but then you're like, okay, what is the problem that no one else is looking at? Right. And that's, the, that's, the, that's where we need people. We don't need people that are looking at, well, the Democrats say that this is a problem, so how are we gonna solve? No, you see a problem, the Democrats say this is a problem, but wait a minute, nah, this is the actual problem. Mm. So if we go around and we solve this actual problem, we're gonna make them look like idiots while actually helping our people. You know what I'm saying? Like that that's what you do when you, you know, you counterpunch, uh, counterpunch and you try to get people into a corner um, that's why you're doing it. it is, I understand what you're saying. I understand where you're coming from. But if you look at it in this aspect, if I add this context, then it changes the entirety of what you were trying to say. Now I need an answer for that. And when you're able to control a conversation like that, you're able to actually shape a conversation. And if you can shape it, you can own it, you can control it. And I think that that's one of the things you've mastered and you do it beautifully. I love to watch you do it. Thank and I think that that would be a really good aspect for any politician um, to have in their orbit. And more politicians should really consider having voices like that around them. For the people that have been asking me about getting into politics, I will not do so until I spend at least 90 days straight under Sonny Johnson's uh, tutelage and mentorship. And then I would feel comfortable. I don't trust nobody else to teach me this political game. I need it, I need it from Sonny. Um, and, and so the other thing that you made me realize was, you know, I was like, ah, oh, politics ain't no hope in making change. And then I talked to you, I'm like, okay, maybe this thing could actually work. <laughs> Like you don't even understand getting the proper people on a zoning commission or a, a centralized planning board. Yo, that those two positions in and of itself can give you a great amount of power about shaping what your community looks like. 
what uh, what's what's for sale, what's brought in. So you know, like it goes to the old adage of why do they have liquor stores and drug stores in all the black communities? Because the zoning commission said so. If you got your ass on the zoning commission, you could change that. So there's a lot of different things uh, within localized politics that actually create the situation that we're in. And if more of us started to learn the civics behind that, then we could be able to reverse engineer, like I said, what they've done to us. I just got chills over my spine. I like that job. Yeah. You basically designing the city. You don't even like, people don't even realize at your local level, they have the ability to uh, suspend your local taxation. So say like, if you, if you have an area and you own property in that area, you had a bad year and you don't have the money to pay your taxes, right? And so there, anybody else, if you're in a highly progressive area, they don't give a fuck. They'll come and snatch your stuff. Uh, if you're in an area where the people are like, we don't want the people to lose their homes. We want people to stay in their homes. We understand that you have bad years. So we're going to fudge some things and mess with some things so your taxes are going to be straight this year. Your family can keep your land. That's the power that you have within localized government if you know what the hell you're doing. And if you actually care about your population and if you actually want to make sure that government is working in their benefit and best interest as opposed to just dotting I's or crossing T's, there is legitimate power in local government to make effective, immediate changes. And I'm not talking about it's going to take us 30, 40 years to see the effect of this. No, I'm talking about the kind of changes that if you go in, you can see in one election cycle that things are different. And that's all available at the local level. And it's only available at the local level. Now, tell me if this falls under zoning. Um, I hate that so many communities have Big Corp, Walmart, Target, McDonald's, Wendy's. If I'm on a zoning commission board, whatever it is, can I say, hey, look, we're not doing none of this Big Corp stuff? Yeah, you can, yes, you can say, we as community think that we want to prioritize uh, localized businesses as opposed to letting these change it. So you think about this in terms of like the AOC dust up with them bringing um, Amazon Amazon to uh, to her district. And they're like, you cost all of those people their job. Well, the people in that district was like, we would rather keep our district than bring those jobs in. Yes, you have the ability to make that decision. You have the ability to make the choice about what you want your community to look like, who is allowed to come in, and how they're allowed to operate. Those things are handled at local level. And people got all pissed off at, always, uh, at uh, AOC for making that stance because it's somehow, again, free market principle. No, it, it falls in line with the Republic and the people at the local level being able to choose what they want in their community. If they don't want a big ass fucking Amazon sitting in the middle of their community, they have the right to make that decision. And we should not be looking at them like they somehow violated some sacred principle because they didn't. All they did was make a decision for their community and that's the way it's supposed to work. Mm, mm, mm. Yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, let me see here. Uh, Dax Hill said integrity, willing to go the distance to defend the words they say. Uh, world would be a better place if everyone had to defend their mouth with violence. Oof. Bars. Bars. Bars, especially with social media. 
Um, Nicole, thank you. She said, uh, no vote in the Senate without 60 votes to end the conversation. Love you, Sonny, though, me so much. I don't even know what the hell she's talking about. That's why that's that's the whole fight about the filibuster. And like I said, the the chances of having a 60 plus majority in the Senate that puts you at that filibuster place is, is not likely. Mm, mm, okay. Got you. Um Sonny, thank you. Thank you for coming on the platform. Thank you for being Sonny Johnson. And thank you for the education today. This was uh, amazing. Doesn't even describe it. This was epic. This was historical. This was Black history. That's coming for me now. Now, like I, I gotta go listen to Sue Surf or something after this. Like I gotta go. Got balance it out. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah, ladies and gentlemen. Some old loaded Lux or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, ladies and gentlemen, this is Sunny Johnson. Make sure you go follow her. Her links in the description box below. You are live every Saturday on SiriusXM at what two p.m. What time? At one p.m. on SiriusXM Patriot One Twenty Five. There you go. Make sure y'all tune in, everybody. Thank you, love y'all, Hotep and Bill. Hold on, we'll be out in a second.